Welcome to Marketing Week meets the CX50 in partnership with Zone and Cognizant Digital Experience. My name is Russell Parsons, Editor-in-Chief of Marketing Week and Festival of Marketing, and I am your host. Now, over the past four years, Zone and Marketing Week have compiled a list of the UK's top 50 customer experience professionals, the CX50. And in this podcast series, we talk to members of this esteemed group about what puts them and their brands at the forefront of customer experience. We'll be meeting organisational leaders, brand guardians, disruptors, technologists and growth drivers, all members of this exclusive group. Joining us today is one of the CX50, Sophie Wheater, CMO of GIFGAF, which is, according to its own site, the mobile network run by members. Alongside her, we have Esther Duran, Chief Design Officer at Zone Digital, where she is tasked with helping partners transform UX through digital and cultural transformation. Sophie, Esther, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Russell. It's a pleasure. Now, I'm going to begin, Sophie, by quoting something uh, back to you from your own website, the GIFGAF website, the Manifesto, as it's grandly called. We're GIFGAF, a David amongst Goliaths in mobile land. We may be sort of small, but we're big on that caring, sharing thing. We believe in community, in people, in the person, but specifically that the power should rest with them. Almost a socialist utopia communicated there, but I think it probably sets up quite nicely uh, the context about how you see customers and how you see the experience that you offer them. So you talk about members at GIFGAF. Um, explain to us what that means and how that informs the way that you deliver experience for customers, members. Yes, yeah, so um, you're absolutely right to use members as the word we use there rather than customers, Russell. It's a really core part of the language that exists within GIFGAF. Um, So we were founded on the principle that we were going to do mobile better. As you said, David and Goliath, we were very much the small player in the telco space. But we believed that there was a way of harnessing people power that other businesses hadn't yet done, specifically with regard to member service. And so we have worked, you know, hand in glove with our members, really, from right from the start we had a community before we actually had a network Um, and as we develop that network and as we've developed products and as we've developed advertising campaigns we have done so with our members and very much keeping member needs and member voices at the heart of what we do as a brand so how that transposes into something that is a reality from a member service perspective is that we have a community, the GIFGAF community, which is the first port of call um, for anybody that's looking for any level of support. And within that community, we have a setup of, we call them educators, so community educators that, that work for GIFGAF that help to facilitate and support other members in supporting the wider GIFGAF base. So they answer, you know, thousands and thousands of queries on a monthly basis that come into the community about their network, about phones, as well actually as having some really brilliant conversations that some of which have nothing to do with telco at all, but is very much part of the experience of being a member of GIFGAF. And it's there for if you want it. You know, we have millions of members that 
don't discuss things on the community. But from a member service perspective, the first port of call would be the community. And if what their concern is can't be answered there and requires data, you know, personal data, for example, that's then when you would go to our member services, which again is online, a purely digital experience. But that is our member service team who who are embedded within GIFGAF and can then answer those individual queries that you may have with regards to your account. I suppose um, what I'm getting from that, if you end up crowdsourcing proposition and experience, then that's going to produce a a virtuous circle and help you differentiate. I mean, uh, you talked about what makes you different. How do you maintain that, though, as you scale? I can imagine this this kind of member-led experience becomes more and more difficult the more and more customers that you get. So how are you how are you approaching that? Yeah, you're right. It is it does become in a sense it becomes more and more difficult. We've certainly had to put a formula around how we work with our members. So we have a community which is there and you know whole community of people holding us to account on a daily basis with regards to any decisions we may be making and a community with whom we can discuss decisions before they're made. But in terms of that virtuous circle you speak of and the input from the community with regards to proposition development, for example, we have a panel set up called the Pioneers. And that is a group of members that have kind of put their hand in the air to say, we would love to be involved in any changes that you're making, any developments that you're making as a network. Um, And we've got about 9,000 members that are on this panel and it's managed by Ria in my team who ensures that relationships are constantly kept alive within that panel, that the people are kept updated with regards to what we're doing, if they're involved in it or not. And we're able to overlay our segmentation onto that panel. So if we're in a scenario where we want to get a response of a particular segment to whether it's a type of comms, whether it's a a piece of UX on the website or whether it's something much bigger, like the development of a proposition, we're actually able to then segment our website and go to exactly the people that we need to go to in order to carry out that sort of that, that mutuality, really, that virtuous circle of feedback from members in terms of what we then go on to build for members. And how has this um, led to success? Uh, are you uh, able to point to real successes in terms of uh, customer satisfaction as a result of having what is a unique model of delivering experience? Do you rank and rate better in some areas than perhaps some of your category competitors? Yeah, I mean, we are hugely proud of our MPS scores, which are consistently up in the high 60s. We measure that on a daily basis. It was actually 74 yesterday. I think week to date, we're at 69. So our our MPS scores are something that we are hugely proud of and really protective over as well. In terms of how members have contributed to that, I think this very open, ongoing dialogue about what's important to people means that we can we can be quite agile in our in in terms of how we respond to things, and it means that you know if something has gone wrong, and it does at times, um, we're able to have a really open conversation with our community and help people understand from a business perspective what it is that's happened, what we're doing to rectify it. And so 
we I think there's a much more kind of human element to us because we've got that really close relationship with our members. And that in turn, I think, drives some some really great satisfaction scores. I can imagine those scores are, well, would be coveted by practically any brand in any category or sector, 60 or 70s. Huge, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. I mean, I, um, I'm i not going to be drawn on scores of other networks, absolutely, but it's safe to say that we are, um, we are, yeah, we, we're flying on, on that front. And it's, um, yeah, as I said, something we're really, really proud of we measure it on a daily basis it gets shared with the whole business the leadership team on a daily basis it's a board level kpi and if we see things you know for any reason something's ticking down then we're very quick with our business insight team to start digging into exactly why and what's driven that and we you know we're constantly iterating on our crm on our on our website experiences just to see how we can continue to improve that NPS score, and it's hugely important to us. So when you talk about business success, it's hugely important to us from an advocacy perspective. So over 25% of people that join us come through our member get member proposition. And we know, again, through surveys, join us surveys, that it's actually higher than that in terms of people who've been, oh, I was recommended by my brother. or So that advocacy is a massive channel for us again another reason why we're so protective protective over that NPS score absolutely and, and so you should be uh, very significant uh, what role does purpose play at, at GIFGAF purpose is a a much used often misappropriated uh, word uh, philosophy uh, how do you see it and how does it manifest itself in what you do you're right it is a um an oft misused term and actually it's a very broad word isn't it it can shoot off in all sorts of directions I think for for brands and businesses my belief is it's very hard to get right but I also believe it's critical to get right in terms of how it's manifested itself at GIFGAF so as you you know you read out the beginning of the manifesto there at the beginning of this podcast as you read down that manifesto, you will see that actually we were very much built with a sense of purpose at the core of what we do. Mutuality, creating mutual connections, making sure that we were um, we were a fair deal for people has always been really, really important to us as a business. As we have grown and, you know, we have started to evolve I have been very keen to evolve what purpose means to us. And, you know, at the same time as everybody else in the world, if I'm honest with you, Russell, I think it's something that all business is sort of jumping on now. And I'm glad that the the profile of a level of purpose and what is demanded from businesses is rising. Um, I think it's critical, actually, that businesses step forward into this space. But I also think it's critical that they step forward knowingly and that there is a level of rigor behind what they're doing. So for us, we have, you know, we went through a process of working out, well, what is what is purpose for GIFGAF if we broaden that out and think about the impact we want to have on the world? And we have always been very invested in community as a notion. But we've also we're also really aware that we're part of an industry that creates an awful lot of tech waste. 
And so as we start to look to ourselves and look around what we're responsible for, there's the growing mountain of tech waste that feels like, right, well, what can we do in that space? Because we absolutely have a, a right to play in there and speak about it. But I think more importantly, we have a responsibility to do something in that space. And as you'll know, we are we sell phones, um, but the majority of the phones that we sell are refurbished because we believe that it is a much better way of, it's a much better alternative actually for getting great, great handsets that are in you know full working order with a guarantee, 12 month guarantee, and they're much more sustainable because we've saved a piece of tech going into landfill. So from a sustainability perspective, we have, we've got a product that sits right at the core of what we do. But actually, that's not enough. As we've started to peel back the layers of what it means to be a net zero business, for example, we've gone through and worked through scopes one and two and from a net zero perspective and what exactly is it that we need to do and I know, for example, that the the one thing that stops us being net zero in our scope one and two emissions is the boiler that we have in our building. Now, I think until you can get to that level, until you can really understand everything that as a business you are contributing to the problems that we're currently seeing in the world, it's very difficult to start shouting about what you're doing to help solve them. So it's one thing to say we plant trees that's great. Are you investing in fossil fuels? So I think you've really got to get your you've got to get your house in order, I believe, in order for you to go out and speak about this. And it's a constant journey. That's really interesting, Sophie, because uh, there is, you know, there is the striving to be a better corporate citizen, uh, like you say, and, and all uh, companies should seek to do that. But then there's those that are perhaps overstretching and, and straying into it in authenticity, in communicating purpose without actually having their house in order. And to my mind anyway, purpose is just about the part that you play and the benefit that you play in people's lives, or at least that's the brand purpose. I think there's often a confusion between brand and corporate. Anyway, that's my two pennies worth. Uh, I'm going to bring Esther in, who's been waiting very patiently, and I know he's also very passionate about purpose. So I want to get your uh, take on it. What part should purpose play, in particular in serving customers, Esther? And uh, what does good or should good look like? So yeah, that's a good question, Russell. I think uh, Sophie mentioned responsibility, and I think in my head that's probably a key word. She so also mentioned purpose. Everybody wants to do purpose now, uh, but are we doing it correctly? And I think at the moment probably we are at, at a tipping point in society where you know everything is happening around us. Not so positive news um, after all. So you know, big problems like climate crisis, all those wars happening around the world, inclusion and diversity topics as well, we are not there yet. Um, And even the energy prices um, happening around the world as well. So people I think are becoming more conscious of what they consume in in a daily basis and um, also what are the brands that they are purchasing from as well. So especially younger generations, because maybe us, we grew up in in a society where actually consuming was okay. But younger generations, um, they are not like that. 
and also because technology has has accelerated this process as well and now obviously we have information at our fingertips so it's really easy to understand what brands are doing it right in terms of responsibility and what brands are not doing it so right and I think back in the time you could perhaps discuss maybe uncover the brand purpose and the responsibility with an advertising campaign but nowadays you can't really do that because even if you have a flashy advertising campaign on tv print you name it or even in instagram you know younger generations will understand that what you are doing is, is not the right thing so i think uh, responsibility as you mentioned sophie is really important responsibility obviously as human beings to do the right thing but also professionally as well. I know a lot of people that they are quitting their jobs because they really don't want to work for the companies that they've been working for X amount of time. So, you know, it's a, it's a general conscious that it was about to happen and thank goodness it happened now. But I think with uh, younger generations, also flexibility of work. Now we can work from anywhere in the world. So, you know, all those things that are adding on into the bag that obviously purpose is important, personal purpose, brand purpose as a society, etc. So what is good practice? Probably listen to your customers, first of all. So what is it that they need? Because uh, expectations are changing all the time. So do as much research as you can. Obviously, I tackle it from a design perspective and a design process, but you know, you keep doing research because your customer expectations today are going to be totally different to the expectations tomorrow. So just keep listening to them, um, keep as well iterating your product or your service, because once again, the features and the offer that you have today, it may be different for you know the offer that you have tomorrow do all those user testing uh, don't put anything in the market that hasn't been tested with real customers and obviously just just yeah make sure that everything that you put outside in the market is useful but also is, is doing the right thing for the environment for the community for all those things that Sophie was just mentioning before. Because if you just get there as a brand to tick boxes, those younger generations, they're gonna catch you right away. And then it's gonna be really difficult as a brand to come back and be strong again. You have very limited, you know, comebacks or, or get me out of jail cards in this, in this way. Just something that you picked up, uh, if I can pick up on there, in terms of the changing nature of uh, CX, we're in the fifth year of uh, the CX50, and I thought that might be a a, uh, a marker to uh, look at what's changed in regards to uh, customer experience in five years, both in terms of what people demand, for sure, but also the priorities that companies have. If I could ask you, Esther, if there's one thing that you've seen change in your time working with the clients and partners that you have in five years with regards to CX, what would that be? I think it's consistency. Back in the time, everything was very siloed. So if you wanted to deliver a, a great experience in customer service, you have to kind of, you didn't have the right budget in digital. And if you were having the budget to do it digitally, you didn't have the budget to do it somewhere else. So I think at the moment, consistency probably is the key and, and holistic view. So basically when we are designing 
an end-to-end customer journey, we take into consideration that consistency going throughout um, from the beginning to the end. Well, perhaps five years ago, that consistency, maybe because of the lack of the technology or the lack of uh, visibility, or I really don't know exactly why, but yeah, it was kind of lacking that consistency. So sometimes to deliver, the end-to-end experience was really difficult. I think now as well, all the departments they are really aware of uh, customer experience. Well, back in the time, it was just user experience. So people were thinking that customer experience was more about physically uh, being face-to-face with somebody. So it was part of either HR or uh, customer service. And then if it was something to do digitally, it was for the UX team. But now is the UX team has the same value as HRs, has the same value as the customer um, team as well. So everything I kind of works together holistically when back in the time it wasn't. So it's about all departments owning and being responsible for delivering as opposed to departments in silos uh, doing their bit. That's really interesting take. Thank you, Esther. Sophie, what's your take on that question? How has it changed in your time? So, I mean, I think COVID has done an enormous amount to change service over the last sort of three years or so. I mean, as a business, we were perfectly placed for COVID, really. Everything was online, didn't have any retail space that we needed to worry about. Everybody that was working on our member service could work from home, which was brilliant. So we were brilliantly set up for that. I think we've seen a real level of digital transformation across businesses as a result of COVID. People have had to try and work out how they can do more in the digital space. And I think that dovetails in really well with Esther's point, actually, around then having to invest energy in making sure that that entire experience is a consistent one. So whether you're looking for help through an app or web chat or through a community forum or you're reaching out because you're experiencing difficulties with orders, etc. I think everything is becoming more and more digitized. And that's really been the main change, I think, that we've seen over the last sort of three years or so. Yeah, and on that, and, and, and speaking to a point that uh, Hester made, I mean, how do you make sure that everybody's joined up and that, you know, the brand team, the technology experts in your business, the leadership team are all delivering and are all owning and are responsible for CX? Is it a technological question, a structural challenge or a cultural one or all of the above? I think it's all of the above. And I think it's, again, echoing what Esther has said there around that kind of business alignment. And I I link that back to brand purpose. And obviously, which is different to the purpose we were speaking about earlier. I mean, they are inextricably linked. But for me, every single touch point that we have as a business with our potential members and members is a brand experience. And as a brand-led technology business, which is very much the space we sit in and we, we view ourselves in, it does mean that there has to be real closeness between all of the teams around the business. So I work very closely with product. My team works really closely with technology, with UX, because actually everybody is developing a brand experience 
And I want them to feel really passionate about developing the right experience in whatever area they're working in. And so the work that we do as a leadership team to bring that together from a structural perspective is really around ensuring that there is alignment around our tech requirements and our brand and marketing ambitions. And that brings in, you know, the entire business. Finance are a massive part of that as well. So it really is, it's making sure people are talking. And I think it's setting things up in a way that silos just can't exist. I wondered how hard that might be as we went into lockdown, but actually we've managed as a business to keep all of those conversations flowing. There are probably times when we could do things better, but I think generally we've got a business that, absolutely recognises that members are at the heart of what we do and that runs through every team. I suppose it's well I mean I know you're not a small company but uh, compared with some and some of the companies that you've worked with you are nimble a challenger still in large part. I can imagine though it's more difficult the bigger the organisation is to avoid those silos to make sure those units are joined up that there is shared ownership of customer experience and delivery i mean have you seen problems uh, because of the size of organizations in the past i mean it's quite a tricky one to answer actually because you know past experiences are sort of five years ago or or i guess actually speaking to friends now who work across other businesses And I think you're right, there's a lot to do with the size of the organisation that drives a level of structure that I think if you're not really mindful of, that structure splits teams. And I think that the people who are leading those teams need to be so mindful of how they communicate, how regularly they communicate. And actually, I think what the relationships are like between that leadership team. So if you can see a CMO that is constantly talking to the chief product officer constantly talking to the chief technology officer. It breeds, I think, a level of communication throughout the entire business that I would like to think means that, you know, a marketing team would not assume they can have the impact that they want to have without bringing on board the rest of the business. So I think it's as you grow, I agree, I think it gets harder, but if it is being invested in right at the top, I think that's the that's the best way to ensure that it is then driven through the rest of the organisational structure and mix things up. I've got guys, you know, we've got people who've gone from marketing over into tech. We have, you know, we, we move things around quite a bit at GIFGAF. And I like that because it means that you're getting different lenses into different areas of the business at all times. And I think also do great socials. Because if people are mixing with each other and like each other, they will just naturally speak more. And so you want people on a day-to-day basis when they're getting coffee in the office to be able to say, oh, yeah, I'm working on such and such. Oh, right, really? Because I didn't know that that was what, etc. Harder in the world of hybrid working, I think. But actually, if you do invest time from a people team perspective, and again, it's something at GIFGAF that the people team are so good at, If you invest that time and energy into ensuring that people have the opportunity to get to know each other and like each other, I believe that also helps to kind of grease those wheels from a communication and alignment perspective. 
Thank you for that. Just for a moment, when you said to do great socials, I thought you were espousing the need for people to produce viral TikToks uh, in pursuit of greater no. customer experience. No. <laughs> no. I, you quickly illustrated it, so uh, I'm with you on that. Um, Esther, who does customer experience well and uh, why? Which, uh, which brand or category even is, uh, is leading the way? That's a difficult um, question to answer, actually. But I think are the um, organizations or the agencies that actually they are reinventing the ways of working. Uh, Sophie just mentioned, I think it's the way that we work nowadays is slightly different. And it has happened after the pandemic, obviously. Now we are going back to work, but actually the physical spaces that we used to have before the pandemic, they are not um, equipped for a hybrid working anymore. So I think internally agencies, they need to rethink the physicality of the spaces to allow flexibility for the employees to go back one day a week, two days a week, whenever it is mandatory. But at the same time, I think a ways of working in itself, they need to change. So brands that are doing good customer experience are those that they are thinking equally, what is my experience? What do I want my uh, customer to experience? But also what do I want my employee to experience? And I think that is something that back in the time the Googles were doing it very well because, you know, it was really funky office. It was great to do the socials that Sophie was just mentioning. And, uh, you know, having um, a football table and a ping pong table and all those things and free fruit was essential. But I think now um, those experiences are a little bit obsolete from um, an employee point of view. So now we are demanding different experiences that sometimes our own agencies or, or brands can't really deliver. So I think it's very important when we are saying what are those experiences, I think we need to split them in half and make them 50% for the customers, 50% for the employees. And sometimes, you know, we don't see the employee part of it because it's not obvious, but then you will see it in retention, then you will see it on the news, then you will see it how, you know, people prefer to work for, I don't know, the Patagonias rather than the H&Ms, for example. So those brands that are doing well are those that prioritise people, not just their customers or their members, but their staff and uh, employees as well. hundred uh, percent. Thank you, Esther. Um, just one final question for both of you. By way of conclusion, and if there's one thing that you want everybody listening to go away with in regards to what you've learned that works in terms of delivering better outcomes for customers, what would that be? Just one single thing. I'll start with you, Sophie. I think it is having a relationship with your Customers, I use the term more broadly than members, as we would use at GIFGAF. It's developing a level of transparency and having the faith in yourself as a brand to be transparent enough with your customers so that you can have that very honest two-way dialogue. Because I think that is how you learn what matters to people. And I think, as Esther said earlier, it's how you learn about what is evolving and changing in what matters to people because that is you know that in many ways is moving very quickly and I think unless you are authentically in that space then you will be you'll be left behind 
Thanks very much. Succinct and cogent. Uh, Esther, one thing that you would recommend people do or think differently about in pursuit of better customer outcomes, what would it be? I think uh, I'm going back to the beginning of this conversation, Russell. I think purpose. If as a human being you don't have purpose, if as a professional you don't find the purpose, or as a brand you don't have any purpose, then your offer is totally empty. So, yeah, I will go back to the beginning of this conversation. I think one takeaway is just, you know, purpose. Thank you very much. Very clear. And a good way and a positive, uplifting way to conclude our conversation Uh, Just a few thoughts from what I've learned from you guys today. I mean, it's obviously about shared ownership. It's about authenticity and joined up thinking from a structural and cultural point of view. But what was coming through very clearly, certainly towards the back end of our conversation, is the importance of people learning what makes them tick, which is pretty much a 101 in terms of delivering good marketing outcomes in a business but also the importance of people that you work with and culturally it be important to make sure that they are your biggest advocates so they can help you deliver better outcomes for customers as well so thank you very much for your time and sharing your insight experience sophie and esther and thanks to everybody who took the trouble to listen to this podcast today until next time goodbye You have been listening to Marketing Week Meets the CX50 in partnership with Zone and Cognizant Digital Experience with me, Russell Parsons. This podcast was produced by Tim O'Donoghue at Bauer London Creative. Look out for previous episodes in the series on marketingweek.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify and SoundCloud. Until next time, goodbye.